In your copy of God's Word, turn to 2 Samuel. This morning we're going to be looking at the last portion of chapter 12. We didn't quite finish it the last time we spoke from here. So chapter 12, verses 24 through 31. And while you're looking, let me give you a little preamble here just to kind of remind us of what we have looked at before. Gross, horrific sin has occurred in Israel. David has brought Uriah's wife into his bedchamber, resulting in pregnancy. And after a a failed attempt to lure Uriah into a situation where it would appear that he was the father of the child, David has Uriah murdered uh, at the wall surrounding Rabbah. And now while this is all covered up and no one really knows all the details, Joab knows a little bit, some people know something, only Bathsheba and David truly know the, 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 the depth of the, the sin that is occurring, the Lord sees all. And He sends Nathan the prophet to expose David. And of course David repents. And David, he recognizes that he has, a, he has sinned against Uriah, but more importantly, he has sinned against the Lord. And so you can read of David's repentance when you turn to Psalm 51. We're not there today. And in Psalm 51, he, he laments, he, he uh, repents of his sin. And, uh, but there's, there are consequences to sin. And as a consequence to his sin, the Lord takes the life of the child that they conceive together. Complicit in the adultery, Bathsheba is left widowed, though now remarried to David, and she is left childless. She is understandably grieving. And so let's read uh, 2 Samuel 12, beginning at verse 24. Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her, and she gave birth to a son, and he named him Solomon. Now the Lord loved him and sent word through Nathan the prophet and named him Jedidiah for the Lord's sake. Now Joab fought against Rabbah and the sons of Ammon and captured the royal city. Joab sent messengers to David and said, I have fought against Rabbah and I have even captured the city of waters. Now therefore gather the rest of the people together and camp against the city and capture it or... I will capture the city myself, and it will be named after me. So David gathered all the people, and he went to Rabbah, fought against it, and captured it. Then he took the crown of their king from his head, and its weight was a talent of gold, and in it was a precious stone, and it was placed on David's head. And he brought out uh, the spoil of the city in great amounts. He also brought out the people who were in it and set them under saws, sharp iron instruments, and iron axes, and made them pass through the brick kiln. And thus he did to all the cities of the sons of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, we pray that you would help us to see Christ in this text that we would recognize that you love your son. As you've loved Solomon, you've loved Jesus. I pray, Lord, that we would come to faith in him, lest we incur his wrath. 
And we ask that you help us today to understand in Jesus' name. Amen. So you'll notice on the board as you came in, uh, I say I call these boards. I don't know why I've always called these boards, but these, these monitors, we have a graphic that says this is uh, the chapter closes. And that's just not, that's not my laziness, uh, trying to think of a, a way to title a sermon that actually ends a chapter. Uh, but it's more about um, a season that is ending. By chapter, that's what I mean, the end of a season. A season of sin and pain is coming to an end here uh, for David. In First Chronicles 20, uh, verses 1 through 3, it captures the start and the stop of this season when it restates uh, what we would read if we were to turn to chapter 11, verse 1, and then ends with what we're studying today at the end of chapter 12. That's that chapter, I guess, uh, uh, in the life of David in the history of Israel. And this is what it says in uh, 1 Chronicles. It says, Then it happened in the spring at the time when kings go out to battle that Joab led out the army and ravaged the land of the sons of Ammon and came and besieged Rabbah. But David stayed at Jerusalem. And Joab struck Rabbah and overthrew it. David took the crown of their king from his head and he found it to weigh a talent of gold and there was a precious stone in it and it was placed on David's head and he brought out the spoil of the city a very great amount and he brought out the people who were in it and he cut them with saws and with sharp instruments and with axes and thus David did to all the cities of the sons of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. Now, if we did not have our passage in 2 Samuel, we would not realize that two years have gone by from the start and the stop of this. That is, two children have gestated and been born from the time David sends troops to take Rabbah and when Joab calls him to come in, uh, in this final act. Nor would we realize that sin and suffering have occurred in this chapter or in the history of Israel. But today, the chapter closes with Bathsheba delivering David a son, and Joab delivering to him a city, and the defeated Ammonites delivering to him their service. And you'll have to decide on how you want to interpret that final verse, verse 31, uh, as to what that means. I'll give you some options. Um, For our purposes this morning, uh, let's look at this passage under the following headings. I I want us to focus in on the the king's beloved son. Then we want to look at the king's deserved honor. We want to look at the king's secured reward. And finally, the king's kindled wrath. So let's look first at at David's beloved son. Let's read uh, verses 24 and 25 again. It says, Then David comforted his wife Bathsheba and went into her and lay with her, and she gave birth to a son, and he named him Solomon. Now the Lord loved him and sent word through Nathan the prophet and named him Jedidiah for the Lord's sake. Bathsheba is childless. We have no record that she and Uriah uh, of ever having a child together, so presumably she has lost her first child. Now, there are many women here today who will identify with that kind of pain, no doubt. Children who die uh, in infancy, and even children who die at any point uh, during uh, their life bring unimaginable pain to the mother and to the father. 
church, listen to me, miscarriage is a real pain. Women who, whom God has designed to produce living souls destined to exist forever have a special bond with that life and experience real pain when that life is taken. And we need to recognize that there uh, really is no lasting or true comfort uh, for the loss of a child. There, there really can't be. And I don't think that that's what this text is saying as though she can just go on and move on from this. And we need to recognize the, the lingering pain. There's a, a, a practical, real, raw level of pain that remains. It's always there. And that, and that happens with all, of, all the tragedy that happens in our life, especially the death of loved ones. That pain is there. But comfort comes with new joy that crowds the heart and the mind. There are new things that, uh, that occupy our hearts and our thoughts. And so I say that to say to the ladies specifically, it's okay to smile again, to be happy again, to, to recognize that the Lord does give new joy. And hear me, it's okay to have that flash of pain uh, brought on by an unexpected memory, triggered by a smell, triggered by a location, triggered by a sequence of events. And I just want to encourage you to cast that care upon the Lord. Bathsheba here is comforted by a child to love. She is given new joy. She will not be childless, is the answer to her, her heart and her prayer. Now Solomon's name, it means peace. And you can perhaps hear it in the word shalom. Uh, Solomon has that, that sense to it. That, that's what his name means. It means to bring peace. A child brings peace to a turbulent, turbulent soul. It's a, a joy to have a congregation that is full of children. There's a stain on this that has bothered me that I think Uriah gave as you sat him here. There's something on here. Maybe it's decadent. Or, uh, uh, is that what it is? The cream that you use there's some stain here and i like that that's the the case that we have so many uh children they represent life and they they, they represent vitality uh and, and so to have children in the home is is good it's righteous it's 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 soul repairing and now while she is comforted david can take comfort that god loves david's son the immediate consequences they've ended you know, the, the pain of what they were feeling here is, is ended in that sense because he is moving past those consequences. There's going to be lasting consequences, especially when we start talking about Absalom and, and, and the other things that are going to happen here. But there is there's an end. There's a close to this particular se- season. David can take comfort in the fact that grace and warmth are felt again towards him. This is... a after David's heartfelt Psalm 51 repentance where he begs God, don't take the throne away from me. Don't take your spirit away from me. Knowing how great his sin was, that's his prayer, that's his hope, and God now is showing warmth to him. God speaks to David again. Nearly two years of silence from the time of the confrontation that Nathan gave him to this point where he comes and he says, I love this child it's a word from the lord 
God, he wants David to know that Solomon is loved, meaning God has not removed his blessing from David, nor has he turned away from his promise to seat one of his descendants upon the throne. David's son is Jedidiah. That is, beloved of the Lord is what that word means. David's son is chosen. He is elect. He is the one from whom the eternal son of David will come. And that's comfort. That's comfort. Church, God loves David's eternal son. Listen to what God says at Jesus' baptism. In Matthew chapter 3, it says, After being baptized, Jesus came up immediately from the water, and, and behold, the heavens were opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending as a dove and lighting on him. And behold, a voice out of heaven said, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And again, he says it at his, at his transfiguration. In Matthew 17, it says, While he was still speaking, a bright cloud overshadowed them. And behold, a voice out of the cloud said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And when the disciples heard this, they fell, down, they fell face down on the ground and they were terrified. Jesus is Jedediah as well. Jesus is the one to whom the life of David and now the life of Solomon are to point. And what's the importance of Jesus being Jedediah? Of him being God's beloved son? Well, Colossians chapter 1 tells us, For he, Jesus, rescued us from the domain of darkness... No, I'm sorry. He, the Father, rescued us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. The beloved Son of God, descendant of David, is the recipient of an eternal kingdom. The one promised to David. And that kingdom is where you and I reside by faith because He loves Him. It's through the beloved Son of God that we have redemption, whereby we go from meaninglessness and pointlessness and purposelessness, now redeemed from our futile, vain life, wandering in the domain of darkness, to live a life of service and meaning and purpose as citizens in His kingdom. It's through the beloved Son of God that we have forgiveness of sin. You know, it's amazing to me that, that David, who sins so grotesquely, so horrifically, ultimately he finds forgiveness from his sin that is going to lead to Solomon and then to Jesus. It's through his own son, eternal son, that he will find forgiveness for the sin that brought about Solomon. Well, that's the king's beloved son. Let's consider next the king's deserved honor. The king's deserved honor. Let's look at verse 26. It says, Now Joab fought against Rabbah and, uh, of the sons of Ammon and captured the royal city. And Joab sent messengers to David and he said, I have fought against Rabbah. I have even captured the city of waters. 
So David, he has sent Joab on a mission at the beginning of chapter 11, and now at chapter 12, closes the season of war against the Ammonites. And central in defeat, uh, uh, the, the Ammonites is this stronghold of Rabbah, this capital city. That's this, this central location to their defeat. This city is about 20 miles uh, from the Jordan River. It's just outside of the, the boundaries of Israel, the promised land. It's just on the other side of it. And the first time that we actually hear about Rabbah uh, is in Deuteronomy, and it's the residence of Og. You remember the, the king of Bashan? He was an enormous man, and um, it's reported that his iron bed remained in this uh, city after his death is a novelty, really. It was 13 and a half feet long and six feet wide. This is how large Og was, and it was this showcase of Rabbah. The city of Rabbah has two parts from our text. We have the city of waters, whereby they were able to withstand a siege, uh, being supplied uh, with water, and then, of course, the royal city where uh, the king would reside. Joab has besieged the city. He has cut off their water supply, and the two-year-long battle's uh, climactic conclusion is imminent. It's about to fall. It's it's just on the cusp of falling. This mission, though, this belongs to David, though Joab is at war. As the king, he has commissioned his army. He has sent Joab. He has supplied his army. He has authorized his army. He is pleased with his army. He is, he is working with his army. And so here's the thing. We're tempted to think that Joab is speaking to David in maybe a disrespectful way here uh, when he says in verse 28, says, Now therefore gather the rest of the people together and camp against the city and capture it, or I will capture the city myself and it will be named after me. As though Joab recognizes David's two years of uh, hiatus from battle and he wants to help him restore his honor. And, but I think that's a misreading of the text. I don't think that's what he's saying. All honor belongs to the king. And the phrase where he says, I will capture the city myself and it will be named after me is merely a statement to explain just how ripe the city is for the taking. Come, my king. Receive the honor and glory as the conquering king. That's what he's inviting David to do. Loyal Joab, he calls to his king. So in, in 2 Samuel uh, 11, 1, King David, he commissioned Joab. And here in 2 Samuel 12, 27, Joab calls King David to have the honor of the final conquest. You see, Joab, he understands that though he has worked hard and he has labored for his king, it's a work by his king's command and upheld by his king's good pleasure and therefore the king deserves all the credit for what is about to take place. The church, this is the reality that we live in as those transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved Son that all that we do in service to King Jesus is upheld by King Jesus' good pleasure. This is all done for his glory and not for our own. Church, watch out for the glory hounds. Those out to to make a name for themselves in the name of Jesus. There are many that are seeking their own glory. 
be on guard in your heart against fame and notoriety. Be quick to acknowledge the king and to defer personal praise in favor of God's beloved son. You who have honed a specific skill, I'm talking to our tradesmen, our craftsmen in our midst. You who have honed a specific skill, set that skill set that you deploy in service to others, you have many opportunities. You have ample opportunities to defer praise and and public recognition um, to one who is worthy, to one who is given to you, one who has commissioned you, one who has given you skill. And so I want to encourage you to use phrases like when people praise you to say, praise God. When, when they tell you that you've done, a, a, this is great, this is excellent, you're to say, God is good. You are to say that the Lord is kind. And what do you mean by that? That He is good to have skilled you to, to be a part of this. But you take no credit. You want to defer that back to Him. King Jesus gives instruction on the demeanor of His servants with a parable in Luke chapter 17 that's worth uh, recounting. He says this, he goes, Which of you, having a slave plowing or tending sheep, will say to him when he has come in from the field, come immediately and sit down to eat? But will will he not say to him, prepare something for me to eat and properly clothe yourself and serve me while I eat and drink and afterwards you may eat and drink? He does not thank the slave because he did the things which were commanded, does he? So you too, when you do all the things which are commanded you, say, listen, we are unworthy slaves. We have done only that which we ought to have done. He gives us instruction on how we are to respond uh, to those things. Joab has only done that which he ought to have done as the commander under David's authority. All Honor and glory belong to David. And by a way of principle, all honor and glory belongs to the king. 1 Timothy 1.17 says, Now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's now consider third, the king's secured reward. Let's look at verse 29. And 30. So David gathered all the people and he went to Rabbah and he fought against it and captured it. And then he took the crown of their king from his head and its weight was a talent of gold and in it was a precious stone and it was placed on David's head and he brought out the spoil of the city in great amounts. King David, he, he musters the people to come up uh, upon Rabbah for the final fight and he captures the city at the last you, know, you guys know how much a talent is? I did that as though that's a talent of weight. That is not a talent of weight. A talent of gold is about 60 to 75 pounds. We've been doing a lot of soil and buying soil from Lowe's. You know, those are like 25-pound bags. Can you imagine having three of those sitting on top of my head? It's just not possible. A crown of this side would ha- size uh, needed to be suspended in the air above the king so that when he sat under it uh, he was clear that he was the one in authority you ever seen a sounding board 
maybe you don't know what a sounding board is, but a pulpit in, in an older church that doesn't have amplification like we're using today would have this board above it that, that shot out. And, and so it just would sit above it. And so when you would speak, it would capture the sound that is emanating from your voice and it would sound it out over the top of the congregation. Uh, just a couple of days ago, C.R. Wiley was doing a a live stream from a church in Nashville that his son works at and he was going through and it was ornate and all the woodwork but it had one of these sounding boards and he was pointing that out and it's suspended in the air by cables and and I can imagine that's what we're talking about when we are thinking of this king of Ammon here in Rabbah. And David has cut the cord and he has taken down the crown this heavy crown and in it is this precious jewel this stone that now becomes part of david's own crown that he wears david the the conquering king he receives the crown from his enemy who dared defy the authority of the king of israel and in his crown his own crown shines a gem the crown jewel of authority of this conquered king as though I've taken your authority away from you. To David belongs honor and glory, and to David belongs the spoils of war and conquest. Church, do you hear Jesus in that? Listen to Ephesians chapter 1, Paul writing, he says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you will know what it is, the hope of his calling What are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints? And what is the surpassing greatness of His power towards us who believe? These are in accordance with the working of the strength of His might, which He brought about in Christ when He raised Him from the dead and seated Him at His right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion in every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things in subjection under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ has all authority, all honor and glory belongs to him. The spoils and riches of conquest belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. In Revelation chapter 5, we read this. John is looking, he says, Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was myriads and myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard saying, to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen. And the elders, they fell down and they worshipped. All honor and glory belong to Christ. Finally, let's consider the king's kindled wrath. Look at verse 31. He also brought out the people who were in it, and he set them under saws, sharp iron instruments, iron axes, and made them pass through the brick kiln. 
And thus he did to all the cities of the sons of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. Whoa. Whoa. That sounds pretty rough, doesn't it? And in 1 Chronicles 20, verse 3, it actually seems to be even clearer. It says, He brought out the people who were in it and cut them with saws and with sharp instruments and with axes. And thus David did to all the cities of the sons of Ammon. Then David and all the people returned to Jerusalem. So what's happening here? Anyone have ESV? Shame on you. No. That's a joke. That's a joke. So it re- the ESV, it renders this a lot differently if you're looking. It, it renders it to set them to labor with saws and axes and, and the brick kiln. And that might be the sense of this word. That certainly aligns with our sensibilities. You see David as, as capturing his enemies and, and making them forced labor as slaves, or at least that would align with our sensibilities maybe 20 years ago. Now we can look at that passage and even that is abhorrent to us. I'm not sure what's worse in our culture today to force them uh, into uh, labor as slaves or to uh, cut them and chop them up and burn them effectively is what's happening. Let me make a case for the NASB here which seems to be saying that David did in fact cut them up, chop them up, burn them as he conquered the Ammonites. First, here in our text, the verb to set under, as it's translated, uh, could mean uh, to have them go under the blades or metaphorically be saying they worked with saws, picks, axes, brick kilns. So that's really no help for us. But in, in First Chronicles, uh, the word cut, that is translated cut, and is confirmed by other translation, uh, means to saw apart, to hack, effectively. It seems like the ESV is importing the more desirable forced labor concept from our passage in Second Samuel into First uh, Chronicles. So that's my first argument. Secondly, the second thought to consider is that the Ammonites, they deserve to be chopped up and burned. You recall Nahash, the serpent king, the king of Ammon, who made a covenant with Israel on the condition that they would gouge out their right eye. There was a specific brutality or a certain type of brutality that existed within the leadership and the people here. Commentators, they point you to Amos chapter 1, verse 13, which speaks of God's judgment against Ammon and their brutality. Listen to what is being uh, reported by the prophet. He says, thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the sons of Ammon and for four, I will not revoke its punishment because they ripped open the pregnant women of Gilead in order to enlarge their borders. God's judgment was against them because they disregarded the life in the womb of the women of Gilead to gain more territory. They are particularly brutal as a people. So it could be that this is deserved punishment for the king of Israel to hack them up and to burn them. Now the third thought 
is this is a, a prefiguring of the wrath of God against the ungodly. After all, we affirm God's right to cast the ungodly into hell. That's what the scriptures say, Revelation 21.8. But for the cowardly and the unbelieving and the abominable and murderers and immoral persons and sorcerers and idolaters and all liars, their part will be in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. Now, ultimately, we do not know which sense is right, the ESV or the NASB, but I think we can be okay with either option. We do know that the beloved son of David, Jesus, who is called the Lamb, he pours out his wrath and is worthy of fear. Revelation 6 tells us, it says, John speaking, he says, I looked when he broke the sixth seal, and there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth made of hair, and the whole moon became like blood, and the stars of the sky fell to the earth as a tree, uh, as a fig tree cast its unripe figs when shaken by a great wind. The sky was split apart like a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of it their places. Then the kings of the earth and the great men and the commanders and the rich and the strong and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the, of the mountains. And they said to the mountains and to the rocks, fall on us and hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come and who is able to stand? The chapter closes, and we are reminded that all glory and honor belongs to the King. And to Him belongs all rule and authority. And to Him belongs all the spoils of war. And to Him belongs submission and subjugation. And from Him will come wrath and destruction. but we who know Him as beloved Son of David, we are transferred from the domain of darkness into His kingdom, even after we sin against Him. His grace extended to us. And in this kingdom, we have redemption and we have forgiveness of sin and we don't face the wrath of the Lamb. And through Him we have peace. My invitation to you and to all who may be listening is that you come now to bow before you are conquered and made to bow. Father, we thank you for your Son. All honor and glory belong to him, the high King of heaven, the one with the, all the jewels of his defeated enemies sparkling in his crown. May we bow. May we submit to him. In your name we pray, Jesus. Amen.